Well, I don't know if you've ever watched certain game shows on TV, uh, like for instance, Family Feud. Have you watched that show before? I've not watched it as much lately. It's a little bit more risque and some of the answers and questions they put out there. But imagine watching Family Feud and, and you're standing at the podium and the, the question is posed. Here's the question. Name something that when you open it and you find it empty, it's disappointing. Hit the buzzer. What's, what's your answer? Wallet. Oh, yeah. Nothing worse and disappointing than opening up your wallet or your purse and there's nothing in there. That's disappointing. How about another answer? You know, hit the buzzer. Milk carton. Not saying this happens in our house, but, you know, you open up the fridge, you grab the milk carton, and there's like two drips in there. Really? That's disappointing. Or maybe you, here's your answer, a cream-filled donut. Remember the Long John's, the Long John donuts? And you go to take a bite in there, and you're expecting that cream, and there's nothing? That's, that's disappointing, right? Well, how about an egg? That probably didn't show up on the answer for Family Feud because I don't think anybody's going to say egg. I mean, you know, like you crack an egg and there's nothing in there. Uh, That doesn't really happen. And that's not really disappointing. I would say that is surprising, right? I, I mean, you think about that. How could that happen? How could you crack an egg and there's nothing in there? That's not disappointing. That's surprising. Here's one of the most surprising answers, and that is a grave. Think about that. In the Bible, we have the greatest story in history recorded, and it it includes a surprise, an empty grave. An empty grave. Think about that. There were witnesses to the burial. People saw where where Jesus was buried. There were witnesses and soldiers who were guarding the tomb. But three days later, nothing. Empty tomb empty tomb. Social media in that day would have had over a million likes and posts and shares. Oh, that would have been all over the place. So when we come to the story of Easter, the empty tomb, it was disappointing at first. Then it was surprising. Now it's celebration. Turn in your Bibles, would you please? Grab your Bibles, open them up. We're going to turn to the book of John, chapter 20. And again, we're going to do what we sort of did last week, spend a lot of time in Scripture. Have your Bibles ready to roll. I'll put a bunch of it on the screen for you, if possible. John, chapter 20. As you're turning there, let's remember the timeline of events. Jesus has been crucified and buried. In Matthew, chapter 27, verses 62 to 66, we read that the next day was the Sabbath, And the leading priests and Pharisees, they went to Pilate, which actually they broke the Sabbath. Here's these guys that keep the rules, break the rules, whatever's convenient, right? They're afraid of the threat from outside the tomb. They're afraid of the disciples stealing the body. They should have been more afraid of the threat within the tomb. So they tried to seal the tomb. They knew that they could no longer hide from the truth. Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 to 4, we discover that there was a second earthquake in three days. A second one. The other one was at 3 o'clock on Good Friday, and the whole earth felt the presence of this earthquake. Now, a second one takes place, and an angel of the Lord comes down from heaven, rolls aside the stone, and he sits on top of it. And his face, it said, shone like lightning. It was brilliant. It caused, uh, you know, not just to 
blink and look away. It was brilliant. His clothing was as white as snow, and the guards saw him. They shook with fear, and they, they fell into a dead faint, is what Scripture says. Now, in John chapter 20, verse 1, it says this, Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene, that would be the one Jesus healed from demon possession, she came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. Now, before we read on, we have to understand, you take the other books, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and you see how the story, different authors shared different parts of the story. It, it all comes together. It's nothing really negates any part of it. Nothing is really controversial. There's just different authors share different things. We learn from the other books that Matthew says, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. Mark adds Salome, who is the mother of James and John. Luke adds Joanna. Matter of fact, if you read Mark chapter 16, starting in verse 3, it says this. On the way, they were asking each other, these women, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? But as they arrived, they looked up and they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe sitting on the right side. The women were shocked. But the angel said, don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth who is crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid the body. Now Luke adds in his, his book, remember he's a physician. Physicians are very detailed, right? They share certain things that nobody else would share. He says this, he isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee? That the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified. And that he would rise again on the third day. Then they remembered he had said this. Third day. When I think about the third day and three days, it caused me to want to do a little research. Because over the past year, as I've been preaching, as I've been reading through God's word, there's multiple times I've ran across these three days. And it caused me to wonder. So I want to take a pause here from the resurrection story and think about three days. Let's go back. Genesis chapter 40. Joseph, if you remember, was in prison. And while he's in prison, there's two people that were with him, a cupbearer and the baker of the king. While they were in the prison together, they had a dream. And they went to Joseph. They said, Joseph, can you interpret this dream? The interpretation was basically this. In three days... One of you is going to be released from prison. The other one's going to be put to death. Three days later, one was put to death. One was released. It just made me sort of think about how with Jesus in the tomb three days, there one would experience victory, one would experience defeat. That would be Satan who experiences the defeat, Jesus the victory, right? Exodus chapter 10, one of the plagues of Egypt that took place by Moses was when the locusts covered the land for three days, a time of darkness. And during that time, people couldn't see each other. They couldn't move. They stayed in one location for three days, darkness. Exodus 15, after crossing the Red Sea, the children of Israel wandered for three days without water. They were thirsty. And God did a miracle through Moses. They found life in new living water. Joshua chapter 1. The people of God waited three days before crossing 
the flooded Jordan into their new land. So three days they waited by the river. Joshua chapter 2, the spies of Jericho hid for three days before they could go back to camp. Three days they had to stay in one place and hide. Second Samuel chapter 24, David had sinned. And it was a bad enough sin that God said, ah, there's going to be a punishment. I'm going to give you a choice, David. I'm going to give you three years of famine or maybe three months where your enemy will attack you and defeat you or three days of punishment. David said, I'll take three days. So the Lord sent a plague upon Israel that morning and it lasted for three days. Listen carefully to this. A total of 70,000 people died through the nation in those three days. Sound familiar? Then it says, from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south. But as the angel was preparing to destroy Jerusalem, the Lord relented and said to the death angel, stop. That's enough. Three days of death. Esther chapter 4. Esther and the Jews fasted for three days before she would approach the king. Jonah chapter 1. This is one everybody knows. Jonah was in the belly of a well for how long? Three days. Darkness and slime. That's pretty gross, right? Luke chapter 2 verse 46. When Jesus was a child. This is one of my favorites. His parents lost and they left Jerusalem. They're on their in the caravan heading back. And then they realized Jesus wasn't with them in that caravan. He was back at the temple teaching. Now, parents, I want you to think about this. If you were to lose your child in a store or you're on vacation and you're traveling and you realize that your child's not with you, you would panic in three minutes. In three hours, you'd be hysterical, right? Three days later, Mary and Joseph find Jesus. Three days, the heart of Mary pounded, wondering where her son was. She thought she lost her son. Three days. What do you think about now? Mary is in her home. Three days, Jesus has been in the tomb. I wondered if God was preparing Mary back when Jesus was a child for what would happen later in life. Jesus fed uh, 4,000. They had been with Jesus for three days. They were hungry and that's when Jesus fed them. Acts chapter 9. You remember before Paul's Paul, his name was Saul and he was converted, right? Saul was blinded for three days. He sat in darkness until he could see again. And then Matthew chapter 12, verse 40. Jesus said, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the son of man the three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. See, all, all through Scripture, all through Scripture, we discover that there are three days of waiting. There was darkness. There was sadness. There was bitterness. There was a wave of negative emotions. But when the third day arrived, there was victory. There was victory. So, so now what after three days? I'll tell you what. Go. Go and tell everyone the good news. There is hope. There is life. There is food for the hungry. There is water for the thirsty. There is sight for the blind. There is light for those who are in darkness. There is freedom for those who are bound by sin. There is healing for those who are hurting. There is life for those who are dying. Your time of contamination and death and quarantine and darkness and waiting is over. It's over. He is alive. 
That was the message. Mark chapter 16, verse 7. Now go and tell the disciples. I love this. In Mark, the angel includes the name of Peter, the one who denied Jesus. I love this. Go and tell the disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You'll see him there just as he told you before as he did. John chapter 20. So let's go back to John chapter 20, verse 2. Uh, we're going to continue this story with Mary. Mary ran, found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, that would be John. And she said, they've taken the Lord's body out of the tomb. We don't know where they put him. Verse 3, Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were both running. Can you sort of picture that? They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. You knew the other disciple was, right? It's John. You know who's writing this book now, right? John. John had to mention that he outran Peter. Good for him, right? All right. Uh, verse 5. He stooped and he looked in and he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived. He went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there. And while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lined apart from the other wrappings, then the disciple who had reached the tomb first, that's John, also went in. He saw and believed. That's crucial. For until then, they hadn't understood the scriptures that Jesus, that said Jesus must rise from the dead. Then they went home, verse 10 says. Can you imagine the mixed emotions here? He, he's not here, but they aren't sure where he is. They're, they're not yet thinking clearly that he's actually alive. There's no body. There's no evidence. But John believes. Let's go back to scripture. Verse 11. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she stooped in and she looked. She saw two white robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they've taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they've put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought, he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you've taken him away, tell me where you put him and I'll go get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and she cried out, Rabbi, which is Hebrew for teacher, don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go find my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then she gave them his message. Jesus appears to Mary, but then he appears to a couple of disciples who had left Jerusalem. They're on their way to Emmaus. They're walking towards a village seven miles away. And then Jesus appears to all of his disciples, but not all of his disciples were present when he appeared. John chapter 20, verses 19 and 20 says, That Sunday evening, 
The disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. And as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. And they were filled with joy when he saw the Lord. Jesus then appeared to the disciples another time. This time, Thomas, who wasn't there the first time, he is not present. In John chapter 20, verse 24, it says, One of the twelve disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we've seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands. And I put my fingers in them and I placed my hand in the wound in his side. Verse 26 says, eight days later, the disciples were together. And this time, Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly as before, Jesus was standing among them. And again, he said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound on my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord, my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you've seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. You know, that was us. We've not seen the risen Savior face to face, have we? If you have, I'd like to hear about your experience. I've never seen Jesus face to face. But I believe. And when Jesus said, blessed are those who believe without seeing me, he was talking about me. He's talking about you. Church, he is alive. (laughs) He is risen, just as he said. Which means All that he has said is true. It's true. Think about that. It's it's hard to know what's true today, isn't it? Sometimes you you listen to the media. You read things. And it's hard to know. Should I believe this? I mean, who do I trust? Is this real news or fake news? Is this, who, who, who documented this? Who do I put my trust in? You see the world around us. The world around us right now is falling apart. People are suffering. And you want to believe, don't you? But do you? Do you believe? Listen, Jesus was betrayed. He was arrested. He was beaten. He was insulted. He was mocked. He was left alone. He was flogged. He was crucified. He was buried in a tomb. He was dead. And our enemy, Satan... Our enemies celebrated. People lost hope. His disciples ran away. They hid in fear. They, listen, they quarantined themselves in their homes. They hid, believing that all hope is gone. All hope is gone, right? Our enemy cheered. He said, God is dead. (laughs) He's gone. You lost. Our enemy is a liar. He is a liar. You know, one of the enemy's greatest schemes used throughout Scripture is deception and lying. Jesus said this about him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar. He is a father of lies. We read that in John 8, 44. 
Deception was used all the way back in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. The enemy tried to deceive Jesus in the wilderness when Jesus was out fasting in, in the wilderness. He tried to deceive him then. And he's going to continue to try to deceive and lie to us until we're out of here. During those days of uncertainty, our spiritual enemy is going to make you and I believe right now that this world is spinning out of control and that there's no hope. That God's disappeared from this scene. So how do we combat such lies today? With truth. With truth. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes unto the Father except through me, right? That's what Jesus said. He's not just life. He's not just the way to eternity. He is truth. So we use that same powerful weapon that Jesus used when he battled the enemy in the wilderness. The word of God. Jeremiah 23, 29 says, Is not my word like fire and like a hammer that breaks a rock to pieces? That's God's word. Powerful. So when the enemy whispers that lie into your ear, church, listen. When the enemy whispers into your ear, that God doesn't truly love us, you just whispered. No, you just shout back to him truth. Nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. That's Romans chapter 8. And when the enemy starts whispering in the ear that God's abandoned you, that you're all alone, why don't you just shout back to the enemy what God said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And when the enemy starts to whisper and try to convince you that God's not in charge, you shout back. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross, is what Paul said in Colossians 2.15. John also said this in 1 John 4, the one who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Ah, That's truth. So you just throw that truth back in the face of our enemy who lies. Remember, our God loves us. Our God loves us. He will never forsake us. Our God reigns. So, maybe as David Crowder sings, Run, Devil, Run. I don't know if you ever heard that song before. We know the schemes of our enemy, the liar, the devil. We serve a risen Savior. He is victorious. So I want to conclude with three points here. here. Here's the first thing I want you to know. There is resurrection power in Jesus Christ. Now listen, at Christmas, we know that God came to earth. The divine entered humanity in the form of a baby. That's really clear. But at Easter, that's when Jesus gives up that same life. He gives it up for us, a perfect sacrifice but he comes back to life. It's all about new life. It's all about eternal life. It's affirming all the things that Jesus ever claimed to be true. See, the religious leaders were fearful of the disciples that they would come and steal the body away from the tomb, right? They thought the threat was from the outside. Church, listen, the threat wasn't coming from the outside of the tomb. The threat was inside the tomb. The threat is Jesus Christ. He has the power to conquer all things. And if he can defeat death, he can handle a fever. He can handle a virus. He can handle unemployment. He can handle loneliness. He can handle worry. 
he can handle depression because he's victorious. Here's the second point. There's a resurrection power in those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. The threat is God's spirit and his spirit is now in us. Just as Jesus busted out of the tomb, his spirit is now in us. And that same spirit in the believer is according to what Paul says in, in scripture. He says in Galatians 2.20, he says this, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the son of God who loved me and he gave himself up for me. First Corinthians six nineteen says, don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you? And he's given up to you by God. Ah. Listen. Have we buried up and stoned up the living Savior in us? It's time to let God roll away that stone. To soften your hardened heart. Do not discount what lies inside you. The threat within transforms us. And changes lives. God's people are filled with God's spirit. Which means his love. And I see it. I see it. See, you don't know this right now, church. But, but in our church at, at True North, there are 23 individuals and couples who are praying for every single person in our church. We've broken the church up into 23 groups and I contacted these people in the last couple of weeks. Some of you, maybe you got a phone call. Maybe you got a text message. Maybe you got a card. Maybe you didn't get anything. But understand this. Every single one of you that attends True North Church, you've been prayed for the last two weeks. And you're going to be continued to be prayed for. We're calling these, these groups life groups. It's, it's nothing new, right? But I'm amazed how 23 individuals and couples said, yeah, I'll pray for people in our church. See, that's how God's spirit works in the victorious Christian that Christian steps up and says, I'll pray for you. We've had people in the church over the past couple of weeks say, hey, does anybody need any help? I've got a little extra money set aside. If somebody needs help, let us know. We've had people call in and say, how can we help people? This past week uh, at our food pantry, every Thursday we do a food pantry for the community. And, and this past week, Panera Bread don't, has been donating their leftovers on the night before. We go pick it up. A couple boxes of bread. FSI and Archwell, they donated like 64 small frozen pizzas. Uh, Nature Fresh donated more peppers and tomatoes than I can even count. Uh, we had an anonymous person who donated a couple boxes of beef over the last couple weeks. Uh, just amazing to see the generosity of people. God is so good. His spirit is alive and powerful in his people. I saw this past week, Zach Pound, he built a cross. Now, here's a young man. Zach isn't perfect, like all teenage boys in our church or outside the church. These guys aren't perfect. But for some reason, God put upon him, I'm going to build a cross. And then they took that cross and they put it out in their yard. Hallie Wurst, Macy Gehrig, they are using their speaking skills to post and to create blogs they're, they're putting messages on sidewalks. These girls are out there letting people know that God is alive and he's alive in them. I won't mention the name of another young lady. 
little girl who stopped by our house and left something outside our house. A couple little crafts she made. I, this is how the threat within works to a transform life, impacting others. There is power in Jesus Christ. There is power in his resurrected body. There is power in that resurrection working through people. But let me say something and listen carefully to this. But the focus isn't about the power within. Sometimes we get caught up in that about, I'm, I'm a victorious Christian, right? But that's not the focus. The focus is in the resurrected Savior. It is he who is alive. Yeah, he's alive in me, but it's not about me. It's about him. That's why I think Easter is so incredible. We gather together to worship, not to be entertained, not to see who can provide an inspiring message, but to worship, to celebrate the risen Savior. It's about him. It's not about me. It's not about you. The focus is all about him. He reigns. He reigns. And that's worth celebrating. He is alive. That is worth celebrating. I heard a story about three friends. They were discussing death. And one of them said, what would you like people to say about you at your funeral? Well, the one guy said, well, I'd like them to say that he was a great humanitarian, that he cared about his community. The second one said, um, I'd like people to say that I was a great husband and I was, I was a great father who was an example for many to follow. The third one thought about it and he said, I'd like people to say, look, he's moving. Yeah. Some of you, that's probably just whatever you had, right? But someday, someday, we will all be resurrected from the dead. We will all be moving. And we'll be moving in his direction, right? We'll be walking in the presence of our eternal God. Do you know how I can say that? You know how I know that's true? Because Jesus resurrected from the dead. He was moving. Someday we will be too. I hope and pray that you can say the same thing. And then this morning, this morning, if if you are here watching, um, and you're sitting there saying, I've heard this story over and over, but I don't know if I really believe I haven't seen Jesus walking around, neither did John. But John got the tomb and he walked in and Jesus wasn't there. He saw and believed. I invite you this morning to believe. Even if you've not seen the resurrected Savior, you've seen his resurrection working in people, haven't you? I have. I believe. Not because I see it in other people, but because I believe his word to be true. The evidence is there. Do you believe right now where you're at? If you're not, it's really simple. If you want to place your faith in him, you want to someday be walking with him. Right now, I'm just going to invite you. You can go close your eyes and keep them open. It doesn't matter to me. But from your heart, go ahead and pray. Listen, our sin is what brought Jesus to the cross in the first place. Our wrongdoings. Ask God right now. God, forgive me for my sins. Because that, my sins, my wrongdoings is what 
put you on that cross in the first place. Forgive me, God. I know I've sinned. I've, I've sinned. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. Forgive me. I confess my sins to you. Take them away, please. I place my faith in you. I place my hope in you. Take away my sins. Come into my life. I trust you. I believe you. Help me to live for you, Lord. Help me live for you. Amen. Before we sing our last song, as we celebrate Easter morning, resurrection means so much more to me than it ever has before. Because we've been sort of living our lives in darkness the past few weeks. We've been living uh, confined to a uh, tomb-like existence the past few weeks. Life as we've known it has stopped. We've stopped going out to work. We don't go outside to play with others. We hide our faces. We, we, we cover up our lungs. We, we walk zombie-like through the streets and we see people. We veer away from them instead of running to them. Frightened. Covered in our own kind of funeral clothes, so to say. Hoping that this will pass soon. Life, the past few weeks have been different. It's like we're waiting. I think Easter should mean more today than it ever has before. Because just as the disciples, they hid in their house for three days. I sort of feel like it's been similar for us. But we know that no matter what happens in this current situation, this virus has no power over us. I believe that because God's resurrection breath is victorious over all of us. A new day will dawn soon. I believe that. A new day will dawn soon. And I believe there's no grave strong enough to hold our Jesus in then and now. He's alive. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an awesome and amazing God you are. I thank you, Lord, for the truth of your word. That we can read this historical account and know that the tomb is empty and that you are alive and that you appeared to your disciples and more disciples and crowds of people. The evidence is real. The power is real. Power over sin. Power over death. Power over sickness. That is real. God, thank you that we can place our faith in you. We can trust you. So God, this Easter, as we lie and wait and in our homes, we may feel confined, but God, let us live free today. Let us live with hope today. Let us live with a resurrection power today. And God, again, it's not about us. It's about us worshiping you, the resurrected Savior. Thank you, God, that you are alive. Thank you that we can celebrate you today. We love you, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.